Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up, rise up, rise up. Everybody and welcome once again to the Midnight Ride. My name is David Caracol, and I'm excited to welcome each and every one of you into the Puritan Barn, into the Now You See TV studios for the Midnight Ride with myself and John Pounders tonight. Get your popcorn ready. The Alien Builders of the Sphinx. This is going to really take a deep dive into the ancient traditions and into the Word of God, and we're going to find some real spiritual insights into spiritual warfare. So get ready, because it's all going to start right now, because we're now live, live, live. What's up, guys? It's so good to be here in the Puritan Barn live once again. David, it's been an awesome week for us so far. I mean, I can't complain, man. I, You know, the blessings that all of us in this country have felt for such a long time or are uh, something to be thankful for. But, um, you know, I think it's it's such a important time for us to remember that there's other people out there in the world going through some horrible things. Maybe some of you listening from other parts of the world. And so we're praying for all you guys out there. How's your week been, David? It's been very good, very busy, but very blessed. And every time that we're able to preach the gospel on any format. I'm so thankful, and I really mean that. I'm thankful to be able to be here talking about the things we we do with our Midnight Ride audience and going into the deep things of God and trying to unravel these ancient mysteries. It's a, it's a wonderful opportunity, and I'm just really thankful uh, to do be able to do that because if not, I'd be uh, running around... Uh, my apartment talking to myself or something <laughs> yeah i mean there's been plenty of times when that's all i've had to talk to about these kind of subjects so being able, knowing that there's literally thousands of you out there that 
actually enjoy these subjects too. This has been a huge blessing, so I'm excited about it. And uh, before we get started tonight, we've got a word from our sponsors. Make sure to check out the links in the description. Many mainstream companies put dangerous chemicals in their products that contribute to disease and disability. This is why it's so important that we take care in the products that we consume. The skin is the largest organ in your body and it is the covering to your temple. Our sponsor tonight is Sugar and Spice Soap Company. They create all natural and biblically clean soaps and beauty products. They even have a soap for Midnight Ride listeners. Use coupon code NYSTV to receive 10% off all your purchases. Link in the description. You work together or you'll die alone! What's up, guys? And we're back. Make sure if you guys are interested in any of that stuff, make sure to check it out in the links below. Also, we have David has another announcement for you guys, um, as well as I breaking Babylon live tomorrow. Uh, David's got some shows he wants to announce for you guys as well. Uh, tomorrow, 8 p.m. on a Rumble channel. Sunday night live Atlantis rising on a Rumble channel tomorrow night. And this Wednesday on our FOJC Radio Underground Church channel. If you've never been to our Underground Church channel, you can uh, Google or you can go to FOJCRadio.com. There's a link right there for you. And at 6 p.m., we're going to have a new moon prayer meeting. And we are going to be praying. We're going to be having corporate repentance, corporate binding and loosing. We're going to be praying for healing, uh, praying for our leaders. We're going to be praying and we're going to be praying for requests out of the chat. And we're going to have us a little prayer meeting. John Pounders is going to be involved in it. We're so thankful. And John Hall is going to be involved in it. Jimmy Cooper and our entire uh, FOJC radio uh, crew will be involved in it. And we're going to go till we're done. And we just really feel that now's the time for the call to prayer. Now's the time for deep repentance and seeking God. Now is the time, and we invite each and every one of you to join us 6 p.m. Central on the FOJC Radio Underground Church channel. Come ready to pray. Hey, man, that'd be exciting, man. I can't, I'm looking forward to that because this, that's something that really, man, is so needed in our country and, and just in, in every, everybody's life, really. It's all about individual, um, an individual's ability to do this, really. Absolutely.
All right. With that being said, David, I think we are ready to ride. And Let's, I know I'm ready. So here we well, go. Well, yeah, and I'm looking forward. This is a lot of um, a lot of new groundbreaking research for me. Uh, there's some of these concepts we've talked about before, but uh, I I really enjoy this, and I think y'all will too. But we're going to start with this book by Graham Hancock, who uh, is very renowned as a very good researcher into these topics. And in this book, The Message of the Sphinx, on page 200, Mr. Hancock says this. He says, in the whole corpus of ancient Egyptian writings, the Edfu building texts preserve the only references to the seven sages that have survived to this present day. We are reminded of Noah's mountaintop on which the ark settled after the biblical deluge and of the seven sages, Apkalu, of the ancient Babylonian tradition who were said to have lived before the flood and to have built the walls of the sacred city of Uruk. Likewise, is it an accident that in Indian tradition, seven sages, rishis, are remembered to have survived the flood, their purpose being to preserve and pass down to future generations the wisdom of the antediluvian world. In all cases, the sages appear as enlightened survivors of a cataclysm that wiped the earth clean who then set about making a fresh start at the dawn of a new age, which in ancient Egypt was referred to as the first time. Now, that's got me going already. And these mysterious, and uh, we've called in the title, The Seven Aliens of the Sphinx. We're going to some people that call them seven aliens. And we realize that we're talking about the Genesis 6 scenario. We're talking about fallen angels and Nephilim and it is not without, uh, it is not a coincidence that all of these traditions talk about these seven mysterious entities that survived the flood, that come back to bring the knowledge of the antediluvian world. And they are spoken of the, of the builders. They are the overseers of the builders of the pyramids and of all the ancient megalithic monuments. Yeah, I, I know that. Man, it's so it's so crazy to look back at all of these different stories and and not be able to know how to connect them. But when you when you start to see that there's like just this common thread throughout every single civilization, it, it really starts to make sense when you start to understand what the Bible says about it. So, man, this is for a lot of people that are listening tonight. I would imagine that um, a lot of them haven't don't understand what you mean when you say Genesis six. Uh, what that means, you know, what does that mean? To people that are just listening, David. Yeah, and uh, we need to be mindful that we have new listeners all the time. This is old school to those that are regular Midnight Ride listeners. But in Genesis 6, it talks about the sons of God going into the daughters of men and producing giants, the Nephilim and the Rephaim. And this is something that is stated in Scripture. It was believed solidly way up by everybody until I think it's about the year 1000 when the Sethite series, which is ridiculous, uh, began to be floated. And sad to say, most ministers and most Bible schools in America and around the world, they teach that the sons of God were the sons of Seth. 
you know, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But this is what we're talking about. And of course, we know the flood of Noah and there's other ancient cataclysms that we could talk about. And in the flood of Noah, everyone was destroyed. But those that were upon the ark, everything that breathed air. Now, we see and, you know, in all of these traditions, you know, and this is one of the things in understanding the mystery religions and ancient text and realizing like the gods were called by different names in different cultures. It's the same basic story, but identifying how these line up in the different cultures, that's one of the keys to unraveling of the threads and the mysteries that they were telling. So we've got in, in Babylon, we have the Apkalu. Uh, in the Indian tradition, we have the Rishis. And in the Egyptian traditions, we have these seven sages. So this is the focus of our study tonight. It's going to give us a lot of context to understand a lot of things. And the pictures of these Apkalu, they looked like birdmen. There we go. There's the pictures of the Apkalu. And uh, they were uh, birdmen, and they, you know, they were uh, half, there's one, it's got a part fish and one part bird, and they were like chimera creatures, and uh, just very, very interesting. On the Wikipedia site, it has other pictures of these beans, too, the, the bird, like literal, like eagle heads almost. You yeah. Know, they, yeah. Yeah. And there were different representations of them. And what I what I believe as we go into our study, that we have groups of seven. And I think we're, we're going to see that the way to understand the workings of the evil one, he is the imitator. And we're going to see in the kingdom of God, angels grouped together in groups of seven. And that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing the satanic alignment of different groupings of seven that are sent out to carry out the his program. But I think it's on pretty safe ground that the the Apkalu, the Rishis, and the seven sages, these are all the same entities that were their role was to bring the antediluvian knowledge to the post-flood world, to teach that fallen angel knowledge, just like we see it being dispensed of before the flood in the sixth chapter of the book of Enoch. So that's what these little rascals are all about. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the uh, stories point to them being the I guess the seven sages of the Ant or the uh, Atlantis, right? Yes. And there's a lot of a lot to do with Atlantis in this whole story and and how that creeps into every mystery religion this I guess civilization that was just so magnificent and glorious that they had this secret knowledge and it's so crazy man we we pride ourselves on the knowledge we have right now and when we look back at some of these structures that these beings are said to have hold the secrets to it's pretty amazing yeah and you know we think we're so smart and just studying for instance the the center of the earth and what is really in the heart of the earth and don't know anything yeah it's all theory and even the depths of the ocean you know, don't really know much of anything, yeah. you know, and what they want to try to tell us about what's above us is 95% fairy tales. Yeah. Now, I want to read a quote from the Zechariah Sitchkin book. This is Mr. Sitchkin of the 12th planet, and he is one of the uh, architects of the ancient alien theory. 
And basically, uh, if you and he does a lot of research and he connects a lot of things and basically everything it comes in to uh, aliens that created the human race and aliens built from outer space, built all the ancient monuments. And if you just replace the the alien concept with the Genesis six scenario of the fallen angels and the giants, uh, he'd have it. And it's such a shame that these people, they're so close, but yet they're so far away. Now, Mr. Sitchkin says this on his book, The Twelfth Planet. He says a number of Mesopotamian texts deal with the Apkalu, an Akkadian term stemming from the Sumerian Abgal, great one who leads or master who points the way. They were described as birdmen depicted as eagles that we have already shown. The text that spoke of their feats said of one that he brought down Anana from heaven to the Iana temple, made her descend. This and other references indicate that these Apkalu were the pilots of the spaceships of the Nephilim. Now, we were talking, you know, and this guy, he just turns it all into aliens, but the fact that these Apkalu, we were talking last week about the Vamana, and, and by the way, uh, we want to give a little plug in. If anyone has not did not see uh, our midnight ride last week, go ahead and just give that a little plug, John. Yeah, it's over on Rumble, and you can check it out. Last week, we were unable to stream it on YouTube uh, due to the, some of the content in it. And uh, for some reason, we had issues with even promoting it on YouTube. But if you go over to Rumble to NYS TV, the channel over there, you can see last week's Midnight Ride, and I think it's definitely worth a, a listen for sure. I don't think you'll be disappointed. But with here the concepts that are brought in from Mr. Sitchkin, we can see in his references to the ancient text, there's the the connection with these Apkalu, with the opening of the gates, with the opening of the gates. And uh, this is something that we're going to see, and we're going to see this repeatedly in several texts. Now, the Epic of Gilgamesh, on the very first page of text, we'll read a little bit from the Epic of Gilgamesh here, and it talks about Gilgamesh as being a Nephilim himself. And it says, when the gods created Gilgamesh, they gave him a perfect body, Shamash, the glorious sun endowed him with beauty. Adad, the god of the storm, endowed him with courage. The great gods made his beauty perfect, surpassing all others, terrifying like a great wild bull. Two-thirds they made him god and one-third man. Now there's that interesting 33% uh, that he was human, 33% human. And then it says, it says, in a rook, he built walls, a great rampart, and the temple of blessed Inanna for the god of the firmament anew. Climb upon the wall of Uruk, walk along it, I say, regard the foundation terrace and examine the masonry. Is it not burnt brick and good? The seven sages laid the foundations. <laughs> Now, this is quite a, 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 quite a scenario. We have Gilgamesh himself, who is a Nephilim, only one-third human, and these seven sages, 
join him in building this ancient city of Uruk, which is about 150 miles from Baghdad. And many people say this is the oldest city, the oldest city on earth. And we have a little video here that, and here's some pictures here of Uruk. And uh, these are some pictures of the ancient ruins. And there's a map there to give you a little uh, geographical um, footing for understanding at about 150 miles from Baghdad. And we've got uh, a, a video here. And it's amazing here as I look at this uh, that we're looking at probably the oldest city, you know, since the flood. Now, here's something really wild. This is from a rook, and this is a jasper cylinder seal, monstrous lions and lion-headed eagles. And look at this. I mean, I don't know. It, we, we've got part looks bird, and certainly this goes along with the chimera aspect of the Zapkalu. And I don't know what we got here. We've got a mixture of all kinds of animals, hoofs, long tails, the long necks intertwining. It looks almost like a DNA strand. But I tell you, John, this is wild stuff. It looks it looks a lot like the Demiurge as well. Uh, for some, you know, some of the concepts of the Demiurge with the long snake with the lion's head. Yeah. Man. Yeah. But we definitely have some big-time genetic manipulation. And we got a little flying bird of some kind up there in the left. But uh, I don't yeah, know what. There. It looks like a bird with a lion head. Yeah. and yeah. Uh, But definitely there was some big-time. And, of course, this is what the book of Jasher tells us. The book of Jasher tells us that there was big-time experimentation done on the animal genome. And it looks like a rook was certainly a center for that from the obvious uh, this cylinder seal that survived and from the traditions of the way that these Apkalu looked they were pictured as chimera like individuals we have a little video here and this video will help us to get up to speed on this ancient city and as we watch this video we can keep in mind that this was built by the ancient Nephilim Gilgamesh and the Seven Sages. Let's take a look. was one of the most significant cities and at one point was a center of attention in ancient Mesopotamia. Iraq was thought to be founded by King Imachar somewhere around 4500 BC. This is according to the Sumerian King's List, a unique artifact that leaves historians baffled to this day. But I'll leave the King's List for another video. The city of Iraq was located in the southern region of the Sumer, which is modern Warka, Iraq. The word Iraq was known as Urich in the Urmatic language. It is thought that this led to the modern name for the country of Iraq. Another idea was the word Iraq came from Al-Iraq, the Arabic name for the region of Babylonia. When most people think of the city of Iraq, it is known for the epic tales of Gilgamesh and his conquest for immortality, but the city is also known for some of the first things in early civilization. Iraq is considered the first true city in the world it is known for the origin of writing, one of the first examples of architectural work in stone and the building of great stone structures. 
such as the origin of the ziggurat, and was the first city to create the cylinder seal, which was used by ancient Mesopotamians to designate personal property or sign documents. The cylinder seal was groundbreaking for its time, as it stood for a person's personal identity and the reputation within the community. This can be seen as the first recognized importance of the individual in a collective community. The city of Iraq was always occupied with people since its founding, but according to legend, Iraq was established by an earlier king, King Imakar's father, the legendary king Mishkina Gashir, somewhere in the distant past. But take the legend of a grain of salt. Evidence discovered by archaeologists suggests that the site of Uruk was established by around 5000 BC. This would be around the beginning of the Ubaid period and was considered a town. The Uruk period is divided into several phases. The early Uruk period from 4000 to 3800 BC. The middle Uruk period from 3800 to 3400 BC. The late Uruk period from 3400 to 3100 BC. The city was most influential between 4100 to 3000 BC. This is when Iraq was the first urban center and place of trade. As for why Iraq ruled the region and why it became the first known city, we still don't really know and is still much debated because many historians have questioned how Iraq used its political control over the region, which is shown by the large area of Iraq artifacts found. We All right. Now... It, my mind just explodes when I think of this, that there was this first city, and it's a thriving, huge city with massive uh, walls and massive buildings. And if you would go down the main street of a rook, you would see giants. You would see uh, these um these seven sages, you would see all kinds of bizarre animals. It would look like the bar in the Star Wars movie. And that this was actually the way this was is, is just amazing to me. And herein, we see the, the work of the seven sages. They wanted to build a world that was without God and that was going to reestablish their contact into the third heaven with without obedience and even with defiance to God. Yeah, I mean, some some of the story. One of the stories that comes to mind is you know along the same lines where this so these people come along and show them civilization and how to live, etc. It reminds me of the story of the Grand Canyon um, natives that are in Grand Canyon. Of what they say happened, uh, they they say that these beans took them into the ground, um, and kept them there during the flood, and then they took them back up to the earth and taught them all kinds of different things. You know, some of the same things that we hear the watchers yeah. talking about them. And of course they have the, that site, the cave there that has all of these uh, enough room for thousands of people and has all of these, what look like Egyptian artifacts, which we know go are all over the world for a reason, because these, these people literally set up civilizations all over, all over the world. Yeah. There are Egyptian artifacts in the grand Canyon there's Egyptian artifacts in Kentucky, you know, many of them. There's Egyptian artifacts on the, in the eastern part of the United States. And certainly, and this was the, um, the very concept, and the, the Egyptians said this, and it was Solon, the Egyptian sage, that taught the story of Atlantis to Plato. 
And they said most definitely that their knowledge, it came from Atlantis, that the, the survivors of the Holocaust taught them. And in the, in the Egyptian version of the story, they're the seven sages. And every, every culture, American Indians, you pick one, you can find this tradition there. And certainly this is the dissemination of fallen angel knowledge after the flood by the fallen ones. This is what they do. Now, how do we get a grip on this and how do we understand this biblically? And uh, let's let's look at a couple things in Scripture in Revelation chapter four and verse five. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire before burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, these seven spirits of God this is the godly version of the seven sages. We're going to see that. And when Satan, you know, Satan has a kingdom. You know, Jesus in Matthew 12 said, if Satan's kingdom is divided against itself, you know, it won't stand uh, and all of this. But in Revelation 5 and 6, it says, And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Now these seven spirits of God are sent forth into the earth, and they're sent into the earth for a reason. And when Satan done his seven sages, Rishis, and Apkalu, he was imitating these guys right here. He's wanting to set up the kingdom of Satan as an imitation of the way the Lord set up his kingdom. Now it says here in Zechariah 4, 9 and 10, the hands of Zerubbabel, who was the prophet during the building of the second temple, have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. Who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. With those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Now here we see the seven that are the eyes of the Lord that are sent forth into all the earth, even before Calvary. We see these seven eyes, and what are they? the seven spirits of God? They were sent to assist Zerubbabel in the building of the second temple. So what do we see? These seven rishis, Apkalu, and the, the seven sages, they laid the foundation of a rook. And we're going to see that these mysterious entities are connected with many of these ancient megalithic building programs. And just like in Egypt, the, the people that study the pyramids, they tell you that the older ones are the most magnificent. And is it that the newer pyramids, you would think that as you learn to do something, the more you do it, the better it would get. But this isn't the way with the pyramids. The very oldest ones are the most magnificent. And in time, they, they became less magnificent. But the reason why, according to the Egyptians, that the knowledge of building the pyramids, they come from Atlantis, and they were passed down by these seven sages. 
That's interesting. I never noticed the seven spirits that kind of helped them lay the foundation there. That's interesting. Yeah. And whenever we can just take it for granted that Satan's an imitator, he's imitating, you know, we are to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Satan is wanting to build his kingdom on earth. And beginning there with a rook, you know, we can see his plan of actually doing this. Now, let's look at a quote from this lady here who um, was not a nice lady. But as far as understanding the occult text, few could compare with her. Uh, we have the two-volume set of the secret doctrine. Also, we have her two-volume tome called Isis Unveiled. But let's listen to what Mrs. Blavatsky had to say about this. She says, Meanwhile, it is they, the seven rishis, who mark the time and the duration of events in our septenary life cycle. They are as mysterious as their supposed wives, the Pleiades. Now here we have another concept introduced that we're going to be investigating, and these seven rishis were married to the Pleiades, and we're going to try to get some idea of and 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 in the most basic understanding of this, there were actually seven Nephilim creatures called the Rishis, seven sages, Apkalu, take your pick, and they actually were married to these entities called the Pleiades. And we're going to see, as we look into what the Pleiades were, they were the daughters of the Titans. So we have the daughters of the Titans that are actually marrying into these Apkalu, and we're going to see uh, how they play out. And of course, this would produce some very, very dark, powerful beings. Be more like a two third, one third type mixture there. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we did a, we were, we did a, a show on mud floods on Sunday night live. And we were talking about a lot of the text that would give us indications like in the scripture, it speaks of the Amorite being tall as the cedar and the description in a lot of these ancient texts, like the um, the uh, text from all of these, the Egyptian text, and the, the name is uh, the Kebernagast, yeah. But anyway, these early first and second generation Nephilim, like Gilgamesh, that guy could have been 200 feet tall. I mean, we're talking about monsters here. And these, these early first and second generation Nephilim of animals and um, humans, or part human, they were monsters. They were monsters. It's like a lot like in that movie, The Clash of the Titans. You know, Goliath, uh, when we're talking about guys 9 to 12 feet tall, you know, we're talking about, you know, 200. So, you know, we're talking about some big boys here. It goes on to say, they're supposed wise, the Fleetes, back to Mrs. Povlaski, of whom only one, she who hides, has proven virtuous. The Pleiades, Kratika, are the nurses of Katarika, the god of war, Mars of the Western pagans, who is also called the commander of the celestial armies. Now, the picture that Miss Blavatsky is drawing is one 
of the dark spiritual powers in the second heavens. And I have come to believe that the Pleiades, which is a constellation, that these are actually, you know, the Bible talks about angels being stars. And I believe the Pleiades are actual fallen entities that, that are there in the second heaven. And it talks here about dark energy that's generated in the second heaven. And it talks about the Pleiades nursing the god of war. In other words, there's an energy released under this god of war, which is Mars. Now, this is very important. And let's look at a scripture here. And in Daniel 11:38, but in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, a God whom his fathers knew not, shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. We did a Sunday night live called Mars, the God of forces, and I identified the God of forces as Mars. And all during the reign of Antoshis Epiphanes, he ordered that temples and worship to Mars be instituted all over his realm. And Mr. Velikovsky, in Worlds in Collision, he put forth the theory, and I think it's a very solid one, that Venus and Mars had irregular movements in antiquity and that they were the cause of cataclysms in the ancient past. And I believe that absolutely Mr. Antoshis Epiphanes, as many have, they were actually trying to worship and manipulate not only the heavenly forces, but actually the heaven luminaries themselves to um, produce this dark power. Now, when we think about, and we're going to look at the text about binding the Pleiades, but we're actually, um, we're talking about real fallen powers in the second heaven that are really exerting influence. We have Mars and the Pleiades, and we're, we're talking about, uh, and when it comes to dark powers, uh, nobody knew them any better than Mrs. Blavatsky. Something I, I I could add to this that's pretty interesting. I mean, you, when you're talking about all of this stuff, it, it all of it has an Aryan undertone. You know, when you talk about Blavatsky, of course, this oh, was yeah. this is all about the seven sacred sciences, the seven um, root races, the all of these different things, and uh, the Atlantean culture. This and and when we've identified, you're talking about God of Forces. You know. It, Definitely, the God of Forces is one of is the head God of the Aryans. It is the God of War, the God, yeah. the one that where they pull the sword out of the stone. The the sword yeah. is their um, idol, right? To this thing, and we have all throughout history, we have this force that's been moving through history. Whether you look at the Mongols, the Scythians, the um, the Huns, even even England at this point in given time and, and all of Russia and Germany, uh, this has been the undertone of their religion and their value. And we know that in the end times, it says that Gog, the principality of Magog, Gog being a principality is going to lead the entire world into battle. So this, all of this has huge reference relevance, especially when we're talking about the idea of the returning aliens, these force gods that are 
literally being seen all over the world right now. So there's there's so much tie in there when you really think about what all of this means and how um, important it is to kind of be able to look at it from not just an ancient standpoint, but a present standpoint, because these forces, these supernatural powers, these um, prince of the power of the air, the prince of the people, all of this stuff is these are real entities that have been driving a lot of the stuff that we live for and do right now. And what Ms. Blavatsky is saying is that with the the Ricci's and their wives, the Pleiades, who nurses the god of war, this is the ground zero of the fallen powerhouse in the second heavens. So this, you know, when the Bible talks about binding the Pleiades for some time now, I've been literally praying that way. And uh, it makes more and more sense as I go along. And mm-hmm. we're going to, Wednesday night, we're going to be some, do some corporate binding and loosing of just like the Bible says. And you can say when the Bible says things, talks about binding the Pleiades, it, it isn't just need to take up space on a piece of paper. It means something. And it means a whole lot. The more we uh, learn about this, the more we understand just how profound it is. Now, from Volume 2, well, actually, that was Volume 2. This is Volume 1 of The Secret Doctrine. I'm going to read something else Miss Blavatsky said on page 434 of Volume. Uh, this is Volume 1. But she says this, uh, at the beginning of every cycle, the seven descended to establish the new order of things and give the impetus to the new cycle. And they were the ones, and the seven, every time there was a great cataclysm, and I believe there have been many, uh, that these seven would, in other words, let's get the program going for Satan. You know, let's build the world uh, according to his plan. They were the builders. And every time there were a cataclysm, it was their job to establish this new order. She goes on and says, the mighty ones perform their great works and leave behind them everlasting monuments to commemorate their visit. Every time they penetrate within our Mayavik Vale atmosphere, says a commentary, thus we are taught that the great pyramids were built under their direct supervision. When Durvama the then pole star was at the lowest culmination, and the Kritika Pleiades looked over his head, were on the same meridian but above to watch the work of the giants. Now, this is really profound that we see these seven entities. They built the pyramids, and they built the, uh, the walls of a rook. And just like, and it, and it talks here, that they penetrated into our realm. You know, these are entities that are coming from somewhere else, and I believe those places are literally realms in the heart of the earth and realms, I believe, beyond the ice wall. And these entities, they come in after these cataclysms to rebuild and bring the knowledge and get the thing going for the evil one. Now, here's Job 38 and 31. Canst thou bind the sweet influence of Pleiades 
or loose the bands of Orion. And we're not even going to talk about Orion tonight. That's another whole broadcast. But just think about binding the sweet influences. Well, if it's sweet, why would you want to bind it? You know? But as I'm speaking to you now, your loved ones that are lost and going to hell, most of them are going to hell not because they're doing, and of course we're doing bad things, but they're going to go to hell because they're doing something they think is good that isn't the right thing. You know, how many people, you know, Freemasonry, uh, you know, makes good men better. It's a good thing. You know, all the charity work and all this and all that. It's a sweet influence. Get involved in Freemasonry. Do something good. Roman Catholicism, it, it is a sweet influence. You know, it's not, a, it's not something that presents itself as evil. It presents itself as sweet. Your local church that's wrapped up in dispensationalism and paganism, it's a sweet influence. MAGA, it's a sweet influence. My goodness, what could be wrong with MAGA? Uh, all of these things are sweet influences, and these are the things that must be bound. And when the dark realm takes over, you know, you, you, a lot of people, and it's a lot of people, they'll go for stuff blatantly evil. But I guarantee you the number of people that are open Satanists is a drop in the bucket to the people that are, are, are Catholics or Muslims or uh, involved in Mormonism. It's those sweet influences that present themselves as good things. That's what we have to bind. And this is the thing, the, these powers in the second heaven, they're sweet influences. And that sugar on the lips is, is bringing people to the gates of hell. Yeah. Can we bind? Job asked the question, can we bind the Pleiades? Our answer is right here in Matthew 16, 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Now just think about how that's worded. We bind it on earth and it's bound in heaven. We're talking about the Pleiades, aren't we? Yes, we can bind the Pleiades. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now that applies to Orion, and that's beyond our, our purview. But yes, we can, and yes, we need to. We need to understand that these sweet influences, just like the seven sages rebuilt the city of Uruk, of they're, they're building things today that are sweet. They're sweet to the taste. This is one of the reasons, you know, people really, truly look to the stars for their guidance as far as when they do things, when their dates, they do things. They, they, won't, they won't open up a business on a certain date. They got to have their horoscope reader there. They got to have as many people as they can telling them that. Because truthfully yeah. and ultimately, what, what goes on up there is magnified down here it's really interesting and this you know the magi understood this is why they went and found the star for the messiah um the people that actually worship these stars understand this because i, I believe this is my thoughts on it david and this is just my thoughts that these heavenly bodies are able to present a physical body on earth somehow some way you know there's they're able to tap in and be able to come into this reality and at the same time still reside 
in a body in heaven is pretty interesting. And I think you're just all over it there. Yeah. And we're going to have a text from the book of Enoch, I think, that I this was just one of the things that really got me. And I think we're going to have, uh, have some tremendous concepts. A little help from Mr. Enoch here in a little, just a little bit. All right. Now, um, and there, there's different layers of understanding. And I think when we look at all, so much literature, we've got different groups of seven, uh, multiple groups of seven. And we've got some groups of seven called by different names. So uh, we can't figure out every little thing, but we can figure out enough to see the program here and uh, to start to really intercede and pray against it. Now, let's go to the Britannica the 15th edition, and let's just read a little bit about the Pleiades. In Greek mythology, the seven daughters of the Titan, Atlas, the Oceanid, Pleione. So they were the daughters of the Titan, Atlas, and Pleione. So we're talking about female Nephilim. We're talking about female Nephilim married to some of the most elite of these fallen entities, these seven sages and the Apkalu. So they're going to produce some uh, pretty unruly children. And it goes on to name them uh, Maya, Electa, Tigete, Seleno, Alcon, Sterape, and Merape. They all fell in love with the gods except Merape, who loved a mortal and were the mothers of the gods. The Pleiades eventually formed a constellation. Now, what it appears from what we can ascertain, the implications of Scripture and these ancient texts, is that these entities that once walked the earth, that somehow they are now this constellation up there. That either that is actually them, in a, in a, uh, in a, in a form up there, or they are imprisoned there, we just can't, nail it all down but definitely those pleiades these are those fallen entities and this is the tradition in the pagan myths and in the people in the dark realm these are the fallen powers in the second heaven that they manipulate you know and the bible talks about in this generation that the the sons of the world are wiser than the children of light and it seems like that these people are always two steps ahead of the children of god and that should not be the case you know if these people are doing all they can to manipulate these forces and they're have you looked lately they're doing pretty good aren't they building their evil one world order they're going like gangbusters so i think it's time for us to catch up and get right and get real and call upon the lord most high and uh, see a little shaking in the bacon going on up there in the second heaven, because we absolutely have the spiritual power. These things sound so powerful and so ominous, but the Lord Jesus Christ, when he raised from the dead, he made a shoe of these entities openly, made a mockery of them, made them a clown show. Our victory is in Christ, and we need not be intimidated by these dark powers. We can go and intercede, and when we do, we will see things happen, I guarantee you. And, you know, just just looking at the Bible in, in a way of actually looking at the stars and luminaries as what they're described as in the Bible, you know, the, the Bible clearly, descri clearly uses the same word for stars as he does angelic beings. 
uh luminaries are interesting to me too because that's why you know when you think about it, it's like how do you differentiate what's a luminary what's a star in there but it's almost describes these luminaries as almost like vehicles like you'd see like the death star in star wars where these luminaries these angels are like moving them along through the sky and so it is it is hard to really decipher all of that what's going on there but man it's interesting yeah and this is exactly what you said. There is exactly what we see in the book of Enoch that uh, some of these um, I, I have here one of the most ancient texts of um, the Babylonian uh, exorcism rituals. And there's one text I was just reading it this evening and it talks about. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. Yeah. Um, Ea who was the head of the pantheon, the ancient pantheon, he was called the meteorite of heaven. Wow. You know, in the book of Revelation, it talks about uh, stars falling to the earth like burning mountains. Man. You know? I saw a bunch of them last night, by the way, uh, tons of meteors. So we, we just kept, kept coming down. There was a meteor shower last night. Interesting. So we've got just a lot of scripture that will point us in the right way but we've got to get our mind right, like old cool hind Luke. And if we have to even eat some boiled eggs, we will, because these are things that the the Lord will give witty inventions. He can give insight, and he can give us specific prayer strategies. And they're right there in the Bible. They're right there in the Bible. In the oldest book ever written, it talks about uh, this very thing. Now, these concepts, this is called the New Revised 6th and 7th Book of Moses and the magical use of the Psalms. Oh, isn't that frosty? And this is a Kabbalistic book. And we're going to give you a little 101 of how the Kabbalists uh, pray to use and manipulate these uh, entities in the second heaven. And I'll, I'm just going to give you the, the highlights Um on page 160 of this book, there are seven princes who stand continually before God. Now, what did the Bible say? The seven spirits that are before the throne of God. Now, we, we've got over here in our Kabbalah, we got seven before God, too. You see, it's an imitation, an obvious imitation. It says, um, to whom are given the names of the seven planets. And it says, the names of the seven angels ruling over the seven heavens must be uttered first and afterward the names of those ruling over the seven planets now here's another clue whenever you see seven heavens you know you have someone that has bit into kabbalistic theology there are three biblical heavens we're going to show you that and um so we've got uh, in this Kabbalistic book, and it's of invocations. I'm not going to tell you the names, but I mean, they pray and invoke these angels, the seven heavens and the angels of the seven planets, multiple groups of seven that they invoke by name and in ritual to bring about what they are doing. According to these people, the very heart of what they do is in the Pleiades. This is the power source that shoots this fallen injury out. Do we need to bind the Pleiades? Yes, we do. These people aren't shy. These people aren't shy about praying to these fallen powers 
to bring about what they want to do upon this earth. So we not be we need not be lazy or ashamed or intimidated about interceding and binding these dark powers. Now let's look at the scripture, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3. It is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth such and one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. Uh, Paul got caught up, and he got caught up into the third heaven. And biblically, we have three heavens. The first heaven is that in which we live in the air we breathe. The second heaven is when we look up and we see the stars and the heavenly luminaries. That is the second heaven. And the third heaven is that which is the, spoken of in Scripture as the heaven of heavens, there where the Lord dwells and reigns above the firmament, where Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. You can read Exodus 24, where Moses and the 70 elders, they went up on top of the firmament, and they had a little, they took their picnic basket, and they ate and drank on top of the firmament there. So, yeah, we have the three heavens. We, we have the three heavens. We have the, the, um, the waters above the firmament. We are in an enclosed system. There are waters above the firmament, and beyond that is what Jesus spoke of as outer darkness. We have an underworld, and we have the, the underworld, and we also have something we don't know a lot about. We know it's there. We have that land behind the ice wall. I think this is what Admiral Byrd saw, and I think there's other people we can see that have had a little glimpse of this from time to time. But the way to understand spiritual warfare and the, the, the entire way that the earth is structured has totally uh, caused me to rethink spiritual warfare. And we have three heavens, and there are gates and portals that connect the first heaven with the heart of the earth and uh, with, with other places that are even beyond the ice wall. And the portals, and these, and this gets more detailed than our purview for this evening, but there are whirlwinds and there are portals, there are vortexes, and you can see these in Scripture. And these are the things that form that literally are portals from this first heaven unto other places. Yeah, it's, it's so crazy, too, because when you really think about what we're seeing here, just like with the aliens and the technology, um, like you explained in the in the show that we did uh, last week on the Midnight Ride, if you guys didn't get a chance, what was the name of the title of that show? I know you talked about it just a second ago, but what was the title? It was Scalar Pentagram or Scalar Magicians. The Scalar Magicians Pentagram. Yes, and it and explains, we, we talked about this concept a lot, that a lot of times when we see technology what we're actually seeing is fallen angel secrets that they pass down to mankind is this is literally what we're seeing. So seeing a, a being ride a craft because we've been so naturalized into thinking that a lot of this technology is um, just comes right out of some guy's head. We've been so naturalized and that we wouldn't know magic. We wouldn't know 
supernatural technology if we saw it because we're so inundated with all of these ideas of technology and and this is part of the program i think this is one of the reasons that they've gone into hiding there's so many stories that talk you know people like phil snyder etc that talk about these beans being underneath the ground and under in these deep underground bunkers that it keep coming up the skinwalker ranch phenomenon that keeps happening they know there's something going on underground they know that there's portals there um all of these stories about these beings that lived underground that came and taught all these interesting things. None of these things are coincidences. None of these stories are that. And so, uh, you know, in the, the, there was a Peru thing that came out. I saw some people talking about it online, you know, making a big issue out of something that may have been crazy. Who knows what happened, but they described seeing these, what looked like men, that were coming and raiding their territory and they were had technology they were using to bounce around and um this is what hitler was looking for looking for the aryans underneath the underneath the ground these people who held information that was greater than that of the regular humans that walk around on the face of the earth this is this is what we're talking about here this is um amazing what they have set up here that we've been hidden for so long for, from but it's now starting to come out it, to me, it's amazing that it can be hit. It has been hidden for such a long time. Of course, we are living in information age where more stuff is available for us to look at. Uh, but it's been in the Bible the whole whole time, and and I guess it just takes sometimes takes all this stuff happening for people to even see it. And that Skinwalker Ranch, I've been um, going through and watching those episodes, and it is amazing that they are proving with instruments. That and and even and these people are rich, they can afford to do this, and they literally shoot rockets up with sophisticated instruments, mm -hmm. and they have measured of uh, electromagnetic energy above that ranch. Yeah, there is literally a portal there, and there are strange creatures will show up on that ranch. It's been happening for decades there, and probably for hundreds of years, and where and you know these entities are showing up many of them their portals right into places in the heart of the earth mm -hmm. or perhaps even beyond the ice wall like things that admiral bird seen yeah. these things are real and there are portals that connect that realm of existence with our world and i think that's exactly what we have here uh, on the skin watch walker ranch i think that's exactly what it is and their power structure too is is so so amazing because we see the symbolism like the Knights of Lorraine and all of these groups that the Merovingians that claim lineage directly from these beings that we're talking about tonight. And interestingly enough, they have the power structure over the entire world, over all the kingships, over all the the lodges, everything. It's just uh, it it's been right in front of our face this entire time, man. And it's still right in front of our face. But a lot of people were just really unwilling to look at it, uh, look at the idea that. Um, this is going on. Would they want to believe some wild aliens that are thousands of light years away are coming and finally reaching our world and um, you know all of this? They want to believe that so bad, but yet it's been right in our faces this entire time. And if you go back, and if if you read the Epic Gilgamesh, it talks about the seven sages and about uh, Gilgamesh that's only one third human, and it talks about the Anunnaki. And these Anunnaki, and we've read many times from uh, Mr. Gardner, Lawrence Gardner here, and he is the genealogist for Lucifer. <laughs> you know? 
I mean, he knows way too much about way too much. A very elite fellow, uh, 33rd degree British Freemason, who's now he's now passed away, uh, wrote a gaggle of books. And he had access into the elite private libraries of the elite. And I guarantee you, them people that are the bloodline folks and that are rich, they got them some books tucked away. I guarantee mm -hmm. you they do. Mm -hmm. And he had access to this. And he talks about this bloodline going back to the Anunnaki, the Anunnaki bloodline. And yeah. we talked about that and how that these so-called um, dynasties that many of them, you know, you can look at a lot of these pictures they draw it. I mean, some of these kids, they, they was weird, man, because brother and sister would marry yeah. just to preserve that bloodline. And I tell you what, the kids didn't come out too pretty sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And we look at the, not just the people that are holding these books, but the, the locations that they own, uh, the places they choose to build their buildings. Um, and, and this, this is a whole show in and of itself. Oh, but, boy, yeah, you know, it is. Look at, uh, um, what's the island up there? Um, I can't remember the name of the island right now, but like let's say uh, Kalula, or I believe it's Kalula, the pyramid and the pyramid down in South America that Cortez built his place on top of this ancient pyramid that nobody even knew was there. They finally uncovered it's like the largest pyramid structure in the world. Uh, also gets referenced the seven sacred teachers there that helped them build that. But it's crazy. They build these places. And, and like in Kentucky, we're running into a structure there that we found that uh, Brian's found, right? And we looked at this place and we're not allowed to look on the property. Somebody's owned it for a long time, a big, powerful name in that area. And you have yep. the, the churches, which come from all of these Knights of Lorraine, come from all of these bloodlines that build their temples on top of um, these old ancient, temples these old ancient structures they do all this stuff for a reason because they do have like that dominion over there but even even like you know another an, the, what i was talking about is jekyll island uh yeah uh, rockefeller they chose to build their house right on top of a human sacrifice um site that and there was a a group of giants giant aryan indians that lived in that area you see the sculpture of them these people were like eight foot tall those common skeletons eight foot tall and he, they chose to build their house right on top of that site and i mean you can think about all the different reasons why or why not but i think it's pretty apparent i don't know like i don't know why else they would do it and there's so many concepts here that um tie in um a theory and one that i would feel very kindly toward of ancient uh, earth energies and of antediluvian power grids and ley lines that tap into earth energies and also energies from the second heaven. Why did they build, you know, as above, so below the um, great pyramid aligned with the, the belt of Orion, all three of the pyramids there aligned with Orion's belt. This is all over the earth, this alignment. Uh, we, we see this everywhere. They did it for a reason. And remember, John, we did the uh, broad, the midnight ride on Star Forts. Yeah, yeah, all over the place. Yeah, and there, you, there's a relation between the Star Forts and the, the ley lines. The very shape of the fort and also the location of the fort are things that are significant. Yeah. Yeah, and we're going to revisit Star Forts here on Sunday Night Live, Brian and I are. It's a fantastic 
uh, it's another very, very fantastic uh, study. Now, let's look at a scripture here. In Jude, the 13th verse, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, who quoted the book of Enoch directly, we know that there was a copy of the book of Enoch in the Jesus house, and he says here in the 13th verse of his epistle, describing these false teachers, raging waves of the sea, foaming of their own shame, wandering stars, that's the word we're going to take a little closer look at, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, this brings to mind what Christ said about being cast into outer darkness. And it sounds like, you know, some of these second heaven luminaries, they're going to be tossed out from under the firmament, just out into black, black land, you know, under that outer darkness. But let's look at this uh, work here. This is the Expositor's Greek Testament. And this was put together in the late 1800s. Uh, Robertson Nickel was the editor of this and it goes through the entire uh, Greek text of the New Testament and makes comments and I want to read uh, their comment on the 13th verse of the epistle of Jude that we just read and it says this concerning the text with wandering stars this is borrowed from Enoch chapter 43 and 44 where it is said that some of the stars become lightnings and cannot part with their new form. Now, let's just have a full stop here for a moment and think about some things. We know that the book of Jude directly quotes the book of Enoch, but there are many places, this verse and other places of Scripture, where the book of Enoch is definitely the concept behind what they're commenting on. And this is another one of the verse. Another example we could give is the, the title that Jesus used for himself more than any other, the Son of Man. That also comes from the book of Enoch that was in the Jesus house. So right there, that gives the book of Enoch with me a little street cred right there. Now, going on. Uh, it says this, and he's quoting here the book of Enoch again. In the days of the sinners, many chiefs of the stars will err and will alter their orbits and tasks, where the fall of the angels is described as the falling of stars. He sees the first star which had fallen from heaven and bound it in an abyss, and, and that abyss was narrow and deep and horrible and dark. They took all the great stars and bound them hand and foot and laid them in an abyss. And judgment, and here again he's still quoting Texan Enoch, and he goes on to say, he sums up and he says, it would seem from these passages which Jude certainly had before him. And this text is an example of places where even where the book of Enoch isn't directly quoted, this is definitely the concept behind it and this idea of wandering stars. Now, this is one text that was referred to by in this work. And in Enoch 44, it says, And another phenomenon I saw in regard to the lightnings, how some of the stars arise 
and become lightnings and cannot part with their new form. Now, could this give us under any understanding to the Pleiades going from entities on earth to an entity in heaven? And one we can say, according to the book of Enoch, that the judgment upon some of these entities was to trap them into another form as lightning or, or who knows what. Now, Enoch 43, verse 1 and 2, which Mr. Nickel also referred to. And I saw other lightnings and the stars of heaven, and I saw how he called them all by their names, and they hearkened unto him. And I saw how they are weighed in a righteous balance according to their proportions of light. The width of their spaces and the day of their appearing and how their revolution produces lightning. And I saw their revolution according to the number of the angels and how they keep faith with each other. Now, this is the text that you had the same, same thought here, John, just a little bit ago. And it's literally talking about, we're talking about the engine of power for the entire world and all of creation. And it's just like if you have a, a hydroelectric power, you have the running water hits and turns the wheel. Whether it's wind power, the wind turns the wheel and you, you create electricity. And literally, that's what this text in Book of Enoch is saying. As these heavenly luminaries move, they're creating lightning and energy. Hello, Tesla, the electric universe that is run and based off of electricity and magnetism. And I think this is exactly what this text in Enoch is saying, that as these heaven luminaries move, they're creating lightning, energy, electricity. It's power created just from the way the, the inherent energy in the universe is created in the way that the Creator created it to be. It's interesting, too. These beings move through electricity and, um, you know, Jesus describes Satan as lightning. He beholds Satan as lightning falling from heaven. And the verse that we just read in Enoch about them turning into lightnings and not being able to leave their state, I think it explains so much of why we try to harness a lot of this electricity and why it, the miracle of what happens with electricity, the miracle of what happens with uh, transporting electricity and waves and stuff across the earth right now is just amazing to me but this is this explains a lot about why um the control of electricity matters so much it's not just money there's more to it than that i believe and i know you mentioned here the um the mercury engine yes and how that the the energy from mercury is just like a almost a perpetual motion engine yes uh yeah it just keeps going all it takes is a a charge of some sort and it once it goes it can create propulsion can create electricity for who knows how long it's amazing yeah and um there's just so much and like i say over and over i believe that einstein's theories is physics for dummies yeah and that when you begin to think uh of the electric uh and uh, the electricity and magnetism and the ether and these type of concepts that's when you're going to start figuring a few things out 
Now, also, I got to give a shameless plug to the Now You See TV subscription network where the Book of Enoch commentary is. If you like the Book of Enoch like we do, we kind of like it. Uh, You can go there to the subscription network and we've got enough Enoch to keep you going for a while. Yes, we do. Now, let's look at the text in Enoch 18, 13 through 15. I saw there seven stars like great burning mountains. And to me, when I inquired regarding them, the angel said, this is the end of heaven and earth. This has become a prison for the stars and the host of heaven. And the stars which roll over the fire are they which have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in the beginning of their rising because they did not come forth at their appointed times. And the book of Enoch speaks of fallen angels big as a burning mountain that are imprisoned because, and and here again, this gives some street cred to what Velikowski said, that the um, a lot of the ancient cataclysms were caused because of the irregular movement of Mars and Venus. And when they would come within a close enough proximity of Earth, it'd be like uh, back to the future in the flux capacitator. <laughs> Massive discharge. I think this is a good way to understand uh, how places like the Grand Canyon were created. Yeah. Enoch 21 and 3. And there I saw seven stars of the heaven bound together in it like great mountains burning with fire. And over and over we see the seven. We see the seven uh, symmetry in the in the kingdom of God. We've got the uh, we've got the angels of the seven churches. We've got the seven spirits sent forth uh, into the earth. We've got the seven angels that are the seven final angels of judgment. And we see Satan imitating this and trying to orchestrate his power source from the second heaven to build his kingdom on earth. Enoch 81, uh, the first two verses, and he said to me, observe Enoch, these heavenly tablets. Now, here we go. And read what is written thereon and mark every individual fact. And I observed the heavenly tablets and read everything which was written thereon and understood everything and read the book of all the deeds of mankind and of all the children of flesh that shall be upon the earth unto remotest generations. Now look at verse 5. And those seven holy ones brought me and placed me on the earth before the door of my house. Now what at night seven, Enoch got caught up and he saw the heavenly tablets. And who was it took him to see the heavenly tablets? It was the seven. The seven godly angels revealed the heavenly tablets to Enoch to understand these these magnificent concepts so this is what the seven sages do they are there to unveil the dark knowledge that was lost with the cataclysm to reveal that fallen angel knowledge after the flood just like it was revealed we can see in the sixth chapter of Enoch the revelation of fallen angel knowledge there in that antediluvian world before the flood and, and uh, this is just a question because this pops into my mind, all the possibilities. Is it possible that a lot of these ancient builders the, are these people that are taking, are taking possible credit by 
using foundations that were truly built by the holy seven sages is it possible that they're just trying to take credit for it to make themselves into something they're not go to the head of the class <laughs> i believe that very thing yeah i believe that very thing and i think we're going to see that here for we're done okay well man, i didn't think, mean to ruin it there no you didn't ruin it you go to the head of the class okay. yeah <laughs> uh you know it's just like i uh, remember the old groucho mark show say <laughs> say the magic word the, uh, no say the secret word the duck will come down and give you fifty dollars well you just got fifty dollars dollars yeah, yeah. So, i mean I, I and you know the more you read this and the more you understand good seven, bad seven, and the more you understand God's program and the imitation of Satan, I think you've exactly hit on it. And I think we're going to see some profound scripture here that's going to really make us think about some things here. Now, in Zechariah chapter four and verse seven, who art thou, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, and ye shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings crying grace grace unto it now i have kicked this verse around quite a bit and i've read a lot of people's opinions on it and the conclusion that i have come to is that to have a headstone you've got to have a pyramid and all what this means uh i think there's a lot of uh, ramifications of this it's talking certainly about the spiritual of the kingdom of god that's like a pyramid that comes down with christ the stone the builder's rejection he's become the head of the corner the in scripture we've got the headstone we got the cornerstone and uh the the cornerstone can be at the bottom but the headstone's at the top so I think we're, and I believe, and this is something else that's my opinion that I could bolster up a bit, but I believe New Jerusalem is, it's like four square, but I think it rises like a pyramid. I think this is Mount Zion that we read of in scripture. And I even believe that this could even extend to the shape of the earth. There's one of the pictures that we've used before on some flat earth studies. I call it the, the Hershey kiss model. And it literally pictures the, the flat earth with like a pyramid down underneath it, like a Hershey's kiss. Mm. And, I, and, I, and that is certainly very possible. Yeah. Certainly very possible. And this goes to what John said, that could it be that the evil one has taken over some of the things that the good seven did and try to take credit for it. Well, let's let's just look with that in mind. Let's just look at Ezekiel 28, beginning in verse 13. It's speaking about the uh, the king of Tyrus. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now let's read verse 18. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries. Full stop. It and it, when it talks about the tabrets and pipes, 
These are literally musical instruments. And the and literally, if you just really look at the nitty-gritty of this verse, it's like this cherub's body was like a musical instrument. He was capable of, no doubt, producing unbelievable sound right from his own body. And he's connected with worship, and he's connected with a sanctuary. And it says that he defiled thy sanctuaries. Now, the obvious implication here is that at one time, this cherub was a godly worshiper in a godly sanctuary that he defiled. Now, is there anything that could connect this to the Great Pyramid? As a matter of fact, there is something. Now, let, and th I tell you, this is wild. Now, let's go to the, this slide, and this will be our final slide. Well, no, actually, I think I'm going to throw a couple more things in. Uh, but this is called The Eyes of the Sphinx by Eric Von Doniken, who is another one of the ancient astronaut boys. But this is uh, in this book, The Eyes of the Sphinx, and he's referring to the Muslim explorer Al-Mamun, M-A-M-U-N, Al-Mamun, who was a Muslim explorer that explored the Great Pyramid. And I'll just read a little bit here. Uh, it says, Al-Ma'um opened the Great Pyramid. I entered the inside and saw a large vaulted chamber with a rectangular base, but round at the top. In its center was a rectangular well ten yards deep. If one descends down the well, one finds a door on all four sides, which lead to a large room in which corpses are laid out, sons of Adam. Now, there's even... There's even a fact that's amazing that the uh, sarcophagus in the king's chamber, or maybe it's the queen's chamber, I can't remember which, but it is exactly the same size as the Ark of the Covenant. Wow. Exactly. Now, this is the kicker. And this is on page 200 and 201 of this book. But, and it talks about uh, the, 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 and this Muslim explorer of, uh, it is believed the way he described things that he did find uh, secret vaults there in the pyramid and underneath the Sphinx. And it says here, the Arabian historians tell us that Al-Mamun found the corpse of a man wearing a strange coat of armor decorated with precious stones. Now, I wonder who that might be. Wow. They actually found, according to this Muslim uh, the historians on the explorations of Al-Mamun, they actually found a corpse that had the stones on the armor just like the guy in Ezekiel 28. Coinkydink? Hmm. Well, maybe not. Maybe it's not a coinkydink. Maybe it's just like the Bible said that there was an actual worship center here that was at one time godly, that was defiled by this uh, the prince of Tyrus, who was actually in Eden. You know, uh, that's that's pretty amazing to me. And let's just have another little thought here. Many people describe the Sphinx here as a cherubim. Could he have actually built this Sphinx as a graven image of himself? something to think about mm -hmm. and it, we can't prove it but it's at least very very possible 
that the sphinx is the graven image that the anointed cherub that covereth built of himself. Now, a couple more things, and we're going to put a ribbon on this, but there's a couple things here that tie in with the previous Midnight Ride, and the more of these topics that we explore and take a deep dive into, uh, the more the dots connect. Now, if you remember, we also did a Midnight Ride entitled The Androgynous God of America, and we went back here. This is a book. It's called The Devils and Evil Spirits of Babylonia by R. Campbell Thompson. Just a couple quick things here, and this ties in with this whole concept. And we went all the way back to the primordial deep, and we talked about how the deeps, there are texts we could bring out that the deeps were actually fallen entities. We've got scripture for that and solid commentary. But it says here on page 72, uh, by the seven gates of the earth be thou exercised. And this talks about seven entities and seven gates that come from the water. We have confirmation of that from the book of Jonah that talks about the gates in the bottom of the ocean. It says, by the seven bolts of the earth may thou be exercised. Seven gods of the broad earth, seven robber gods are they, seven gods of might, seven evil gods, seven evil demons. And in the on page 77 of this work, it says, In the ocean deep is their home they were reared, nor male or female are they. And these seven entities from the deep in the Babylonian text, they were described as androgynous. And this was one of the starting points for a midnight ride on the androgynous gods of America. And here we again, we see this seven and how this number seven symmetry goes all through uh, the kingdom of the evil one. And in it, he's just imitating the structure of the kingdom of God. Yeah. Now, on, well, I'm going to read one more thing here. This is from the Nagamati uh, scriptures by Meyer. And on page 205 from this Gnostic work on the origin of the world, it talks about Yalbadoth creating heaven and earth. And it says, uh, this is on page 205, it says, And this ruler had a thought in accordance with his nature, and he created an androgynous being by means of the word. Seven androgynous beings appeared in chaos, and they have masculine and feminine names. So here again, we, we go back to this worship of the androgynous God. We have these seven mysterious sages, that uh, seven sages, seven rishis, seven apakalu, uh, that are the disseminated of the fallen angel knowledge after the great deluge. And, and I kept, and you know, biblically speaking, they did a great job on disseminating this information because it, this being um, that the whole world's deceived by, you know, it talks about them looking narrowly upon him. Um, I, I imagine when people realize what they've been deceived by, it's going to shock them. It's going to be like, I can't believe I believed this. Why did I even believe this story when clearly it was written? the opposite way, and, and I think people won't have an excuse, but it's going to be interesting. I tell you what I believe, and sometimes I just got to preach it the way I feel it. I can't prove it, but how I believe it's going to be at the great white throne judgment as people stand there waiting to go into the bowels of hell. I believe these hideous devils 
are going to be dragged before them and judged and thrown into the lake of fire. And they're going to see the real nature of these hideous, grotesque entities that they have served and been deceived by. And I think that will drive home to them in a way that nothing else could. The absolute folly mm. of following these hideous creatures. And, and that scripture comes to mind, you know, when the Gentiles come and say, surely we've inherited lies. Yeah. And yeah, we're, we're getting into that point now. And I can't wait to the point, moment when everybody sees the lies that we've inherited. Um, you know, I, I think about a lot of the times, David, that I, that some of the things that I believed and, um, eventually how I looked at those things and I saw how stupid it was, right? I looked at it oh, and I'm yeah. like, how, how did I even believe that? Because it, look, look at all these, for one, just this, this just put a face on one of the things, NASA. How did I even believe what they were ever coming out with, knowing that, you know, their Hebrew word for NASA's deception, knowing that, yeah. that they've put out a different picture of Earth with different um, dimensions for all the different land masses over and over again consistently, all CGI photos, when they've had Nazis start the program and continue and all of these different things that just led to, you know, you look at all of those things combined. You know, one thing, it's like, ah, you know, look at the moon, it looks fake, right? Look, moon landing, it looks fake. You know, how'd they call people from a landline? No, people all talk about that. But but you start to add all these things together, and it's like, how in the world does anybody, in, including me and myself, how did I believe these these fools? Like, I'm, you know, it's just it's yeah. amazing to me. But hopefully... Um, we're all going to be able to look at the things that we believe and truly decipher what's true or not. And I pray that everybody listening, that God just opens your eyes to all the truth, not just some of it, all of it, you know, every bit of it, just like we hope that he does for us. Yeah. And this is just one more of those avenues right here. On my beloved little cell phone, I can be going up 37 towards Tell City, and I lose the signal to Candleton and Hawesville. <laughs> but yeah, oh yeah, here, here's Nixon. He's on the landline. Yeah. Hey, guys, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> While they're up there in that little, it looks like a homeless shelter yeah. okay. thing that's supposed to survive that yeah. long trip. So yeah, it's, there's a lot of things. When it all adds up and you really think about it, I think that's one reason God tells us to study to show ourselves approved because... You know, if you study enough, you're going to find out there's some some messed up stuff with the story oh, oh, presented boy. to us. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Anyways, with that being said, David, I think it's time for the Pounder's Pound, which is where you pound that like button all at the same time. We just spam the like button and uh, create a glitch in the algorithm system in YouTube. And just that way it gets out to a lot more people. At least that's what we tell ourselves it does. So we're going to do it at the same time. David, lead us off on this Pounder's Pound. Let's do this. One. One. Two, two, three, three, boom, boom. I felt that all the way over here. I felt I'm the feeling vibration. It. I'm like a, feeling it. <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening to this. We really appreciate your guys' support. And, um, you know, we couldn't do this without you. And, you know, no matter what, where you're at in the world and, like, you know, what you're going through, just know you are not alone in this endeavor. With We're all, we're all pushing and pursuing through this world, through persecution through blacklisting through um just so much hate and different things and it's good to know that there are other people out there and we're all going through it together and we're all strong through this we're pushing through this and um i'm, I'm just grateful man this midnight ride has been one in my opinion the 
one of the greatest things that I've ever been able to be a part of in my life. Um, not just in reach capability of the amount of people we've reached, but in the amount of lives that have truly been changed. And so midnight riders, man, keep it up. I appreciate you guys, David, if you want to end us out, if you got anything to say, wherever you're at on this good old flat earth, let not your heart be troubled. Jesus is Lord. And with that, with thanks always to you, the Midnight Ride audience, we could not do what we do without your prayers and your support. So with a great big thank you to you, until next week, 10 p.m. Central, high five and good night, everybody, from the Midnight Ride. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up, rise up, rise up. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.